Hi, this is Wendy Steinberg. I'm your caffeinated college coach. And today I have a dear friend with me. Her name is Ellie Barta Moran. And I had the pleasure of meeting her decades ago at Emporia State University. She was an RA that I worked with in uh, the North Twin Tower. Was that right? It wasn't Twin Tower. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think it was. There was a South Tower. and an, Okay, fine. And so um, we've kept in touch and I really think um, Ellie's story uh, will resonate with a lot of people and um, it's really important um, to just listen and, and honor her journey. And so she's going to start us off today with um, a little bit about her why she chose Emporia State University for her undergrad and all the places she's landed along the way. Hi, Wendy Sue. Thanks for having me today. Yay. I'm so glad I get to see you. So um, it's just amazing. Amazing. So, I mean, you talk because I could talk forever about, okay, you, but I'll shut up. I'll be quiet. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Well, I grew up in a small town in Kansas and when all the way growing up, I thought I was going to be a teacher. I always knew that I wanted to be an English teacher. And so Emporia State was known for being a teacher's college. So it was pretty much the obvious choice. I don't even think that I applied for any other schools. It was just, it was Emporia State all the way. Um, and I was always intending to be an English teacher. Or so I thought. What's really interesting to me is a number of years after undergrad, I went through and I looked at a bunch of old paperwork. And when I had applied to Emporia State, I actually had applied for the, ma the major of social work, um, which, I'll, which is an interesting kind of full circle thing because I am a social worker now, but um, they didn't have a social work major. So I went into English and for the first, I would say three years until the fall semester of my senior year, I was on track to be an English teacher. And I got into the foundations classes and all of a sudden I realized, oh no, I don't want to be a teacher. <laughs> and I thought, what am I going to do with my life? So I had figured out I had enough credits to just kind of transfer into straight English. Mm -hmm. So I graduated as expected. I moved to Chicago and I got into publishing. So I was in publishing for, I don't know, maybe four or five years and realized that no, really, I wanted to be a social worker. Um, so I eventually went to grad school in Chicago and I became a social worker. That seems um, just really, were there, okay, let me try and articulate my questions here. Um, at Emporia State, I know you had mentioned when uh, I asked you to do the podcast that maybe um, it wouldn't resonate with, with many listeners, but um, what sort of challenges did you have coming from Marion, Kansas, which is a small town, right? I visited your high school. It was yes. awesome. I loved it. And then going to this big campus and living on campus and getting involved and um, kind of what motivated you to just keep going? It was, it was a bit of culture shock. 
um, moving to a larger area and a school that I don't know had four or six thousand people. My graduating class in high school had thirty-two. So all of a sudden, I was around so many more people, a, a very diverse population, and I had to suddenly learn how to make friends. And I'd never really had to do that in my life because I just grew up with all the kids that I had gone to school with. So I think adjusting to being on my own, being responsible for everything, um, it, it was very stressful for me. Um, and I, I would say throughout a lot of, of college, I, I struggled with depression um, because it was just all new and I was taking in all of this all of this stuff and ill-equipped to be able to handle it sometimes. Um, so I utilized the student center quite a bit. Um, they had really, really good therapists there. So I would periodically go in and see someone about once a year um, to get a little bit more support. I would say that's the thing that was the, the struggle for me the most was all of a sudden I didn't know where to get my support. Um, in this completely new environment. And I think I didn't actually um, crack that while I was there. That was always a struggle for me, except for, of course, the year that you were my hall director. And that was an amazing, amazing amount of support from you. That year kind of turned things around for me, for sure. I ad I adored you. I When I <laughs> met you, you had every fingernail a different color. You had paint <laughs> pens. I immediately went to Michael's and got them because I had to have the same nails as you. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, you know, I just felt like we connected in some way and I loved it. We went to um, lectures in Kansas City together. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? Um, Marianne Williamson. I know. Oh my gosh. I can't believe we got tickets. <clears throat> it was just so great. And, um, you know, it was really I, so, so healthy for me to mirror back to you what I saw, like all this self-worth, all this goodness. Um, it was just amazing. Your energy and your vibration was just so positive and, and so high, you just attracted like all this great stuff to you. Um, and you didn't see it. You just didn't see it. So. Yeah. Thank you. No, I, I didn't see it at all. And I think that's been a struggle throughout my life of being able to see that in myself, but definitely it was restorative to get to, to be with you and, and be friends with you and have you be my mentor really. Oh, that's nice. Oh my goodness. So after you graduated and you, you moved to Chicago, right? Was it a direct, was it because your sister was there? Is that correct? My sister, yeah, my sister was going to Northwestern and I had a lot of family there. So I think when I was trying to figure out what to do with my life and I wasn't really sure, the only thing that I knew was I need to be in a city. Um, that's something that really called to me. And that was like the easiest city to move to because I had so many connections. Yeah. So I moved in there. I spent a summer living with my grandmother uh, until I found my own place. And then it just kind of all blossomed from there. Yeah. When did you realize you didn't want to continue in publishing? You said, because you worked for the American Library Association, right? 
Yes, I started out as an editorial assistant. I did that for about a year and then I moved into a program in which I was a production editor. Um, so I did like um, proofreading and uh, copy editing and typesetting and it, I loved it. It was such a, a fun, creative thing to do, but it was a very solitary activity. So I was in my office all day and I was proofreading the journals and, and I realized that um, the most fun that I ended up having in the library job was the time when I got to collaborate with others on projects. And when I first moved to Chicago, I started volunteering for a domestic violence shelter, which I think that I can actually credit you for because you worked at a domestic violence shelter in Poria, didn't you? And you got me started in that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I worked so, there, yeah. So I volunteered one night a week um, early on in Chicago and I, then I found myself looking forward to the three hours that I was at the shelter above anything else yeah. in the entire week. You know, my work was kind of, it was a little bit boring at that point. And I just looked forward to Thursday nights. I got to spend three hours on the crisis line and interacting with the ladies at the shelter. And then I thought, oh, there's something here. And I knew that I wanted a change because I was really bored with my job. Um, but I was also kind of interested in library science. So I kind of, it was a toss up for me. Should I go to grad school in social work or should I go in library science? And ultimately, um, I think it was, I started volunteering for the Chicago Rape Crisis Hotline. And that was the thing that really triggered me saying, oh, this is what I want to do. Um, so then I planned to go to grad school. How long, where did you end up going and how long was the program? <clears throat> I went to the University of Chicago at Illinois, and it was a two-year program, four semesters. I got summers off, um, which was something I had not experienced in about 10 years because I took, I took 10 years off um, between undergrad and grad school. Um, so this whole like having to study and <laughs> not have a social life, that was a really big adjustment for me in grad school. Yeah. Were you also working at this time? I was working, let's see. Yeah, I was working part-time. I did the program full-time the first year. I, well, I went back to the shelter. Um, going back to my shelter story, um, I volunteered at the shelter for a couple of years and then they asked me if I wanted to work there. So I worked there for a number of years, took two years off when my husband and I moved to Alabama so he could go to grad school. And then we came back to Chicago I returned to the shelter and I also had a work study job. I think I was um, tutoring in one of the um, No Child Left Behind schools in Chicago, um, which confirmed my decision that I was not supposed to be a teacher. I was supposed to be a social worker. <laughs> so yeah, I, I kind of had two part-time jobs when I was going to grad school. So where do you work now? Is it working with um, women who come out of shelters? Where, where is your primary focus in your practice? Well, I'm not with domestic violence anymore, but I'm still kind of in the trauma arena. Um, 
I work for a grant-funded position with the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services. It's a program whenever children come into care in the state of Illinois, my program goes in and does developmental screenings on the zero to five, interviews the older kids, the parents, the foster parents, and then they write up a comprehensive report of like the family history, how did it get to this point that the child was abused or neglected, and then what needs to happen moving forward. So we give recommendations for um, uh, reunification services, like therapy or substance abuse um, services, that type of thing. And we come from a psychodynamic approach and attachment theory. So it's wildly interesting to me. I've been with the program for eight years now and I have moved up from a direct service um, practitioner to now I'm in the management arena of it and I love it. That's amazing. So is there, I mean, let me just ask, cause that sounds so cool. There's a follow-up component then too, right? After the screening, you still follow up with the family and see how things turn out or is it, that's actually not our role at all. Oh. My program pairs with the caseworker who follows the case throughout its entirety, okay. but we are supposed to go in during the first 45 days okay. and do a, you know, almost like an emergency assessment of what they need. And then as time goes on, the long-term caseworker continues to work with the family and continues to do assessments of what their needs are as they change throughout the course of the case. So yeah, it's really just an assessment position. Okay. So then how has that changed during um, COVID and the worldwide pandemic? How have you had to adjust um, your interviews and working? Is it just primarily on Zoom at this point? It is. We made a pretty quick transition because my social workers have always worked from home and then they go into the client's homes to do the interviews. And for our, our full program, we really only meet, we, we only met in person twice a month. Okay. And then I would meet with the people that I supervised once a week to do reflective supervision. Um, and so all of that has gone remote. So the interviews are on video or phone, and then I do my supervision over video. And yeah. so I just get to stay home. I love it. Yeah. But I know it's it's been such an adjustment for everybody, not to mention the collective trauma that we're all experiencing during the mm -hmm. pandemic. Yeah. 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 I see it with my own kids, their anxiety, mm -hmm. um, just going outside. They feel like a Petri dish. It's, it's yeah, it's hard for them. Yeah. Absolutely. So I discovered um, in the past. Oh, go ahead. No, you finish. I'm sorry. I cut you off. No, I discovered in the past year that I do have anxiety. I never thought of myself as an anxious person, but this pandemic hit and oh my God, I know. I think everybody became an anxious person. I know it's, um, it's a lot to handle. It really is. Um, so after being at, cause we graduated at the same time. Um, I graduated with my master's degree when you graduated with your undergrad, um, if I remember correctly, uh, you wore a swimsuit under your cap and gown. Was that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I think other people took it a little bit more seriously than I did, but I just, had I, th I thought it was fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. If, if you could just, cause you were just being true to yourself. And I, I just love that about you. Um, 
And Ellie and I have kept in touch over the years. I've gone to Chicago to visit her. Um, I did not know you had gone to Alabama. Um, how was that for you? I mean, I've never been in or lived in the southern part of the United States. What is that like? Initially, it felt like moving to a foreign country. It was just the culture, the southern slow way of life was very, very different. Okay. And so um, we moved down there. I quit my job at ALA. We moved down so that my husband could go to grad school. And it took me, I think, probably two months before I found a job, which I actually found a job as a woman's counselor at a domestic violence shelter. So it was really the, it was a perfect pairing for me, but I was really depressed for about six months. Mm -hmm. And then I started to make some friends and then it just really turned around for me. Like we, I ended up loving it so much that we considered maybe we would stay in Alabama. He would continue to work at the theater where he had gone to grad school and I would just go to grad school down there. Um, I'm very glad that it didn't work out like that. But for a while, we were all over that idea. Um, people were just, they were, they were kinder. They were more overtly kind. People started talking to me in the grocery store. Um, though the first thing that they would always ask is, so do you have a church family? And we are not church attenders. So that was a little bit difficult trying to figure out how do we navigate? Like, let's still have a relationship and have a discussion, but like, we don't go to church. Um, nothing was open on Sundays. At least we were in Montgomery and so many things around us were closed. And coming from Chicago, I was used to there being stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. And so not having anything to do on Sunday, I suddenly was like, oh, this is actually just the day of rest. I'm going to relax. I'm going to be at home. And it really made me adjust the way that I approached my life, I think. Yeah. And it was warm. Yeah. It was warm. Alabama so hot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So as, as people hopefully will listen to this, your friends and family and all of that. Um, is there one thing that um, you could give to people who listen? Um, any advice about college and the direction you went into? Or um, did you use financial aid? Did you pay for it yourself? Was, do you know what I mean? Anything that you can uh, reassure people either switching their college degree or going back or starting college that would be words of wisdom? Well, I will always recommend an English degree because you can do anything with it. Um, the skills of being able to think critically and to write coherently are almost a dying art, but I think that's what an English degree supports, which is something that I have been told throughout my entire life. Like you get this degree and you can go into anything that you want. Yeah. Um, so I'm very, very pro English major. I was an English major. So yeah. I, uh, I didn't embrace grammar so well. So that was one of my challenging tasks. But do you feel mm -hmm. like graduate school really kind of grounded you into the direction you wanted to go? I know so many times we hear that 
a bachelor's degree really doesn't cut it anymore, that you do need the graduate degree to move forward in any career. Um, is, is that what you found to be true for you? That was true for my particular field. I think um, I would not recommend grad school unless you know exactly what you want to do. I've known a lot of folks in my life who just kind of in their 20s were fluttering around and not really sure what they wanted to do. So they're like, oh, I guess I'll go to grad school. I would not incur that amount of debt unless you're absolutely sure what you want to do. Um, I have to, in order to call myself a social worker, I have to have a graduate degree and I have to be licensed, um, which is probably the only reason why I chose that path. But I'm so glad that I did because I had been working in social work type settings pre-grad school, but grad school gave me, gave me the language and the sensibility of being a social worker. So I think back on the way that I responded to situations pre-grad school, and it was very different than once I was grounded in the social work sensibility. And then of course I got to do the internships, which I found the most valuable part of grad school. Um, Where did you do your internships? I did one at a now closed down adolescent psych hospital. And that's what then triggered me to get a job after grad school um, in adolescent psych. And then the second internship I had was a family therapy program within a suburban police department. And so there I, it, they had a therapy program that was a diversionary program for juvenile offenders. Yeah. And through that program, I learned how to do therapy, like a teensy teensy bit of therapy. And then also I got into restorative justice and peace circles, which was absolutely my passion in grad school. And I unfortunately was not able to get a job in that, but it's something I believe very deeply in. Do you want to explain a little bit more of what that is? Um, Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Restorative justice is a very, very old practice that is now, you know, maybe in the past 10 or 15 years coming into vogue, um, particularly when it comes to the justice system and also education system. I've seen a lot of restorative justice work in Chicago public schools that has, has transformative power. So in the juvenile justice system and in restorative justice in general, it's about bringing together the offender, the perpetrator in the community to talk about what harm has been done Um, what reparations need to be made, and then how the community can support the victim and the offender to, you know, continue making reparations and healing. It's a beautiful, beautiful process. That sounds amazing. That really does. And I could see you thriving in that kind of um, atmosphere. Absolutely. And as you were talking, what popped in my head is you remember when President Obama took the two men who were, there was a man who um, was stopping an African-American man from going into his own apartment or something. And he invited the two men to the White House to have a beer on the lawn of the White House. I think it was during his first term. And it was just kind of like creating an avenue where the two men could talk and connect with each other and realize there's so many more similarities between the two than outside of that and to talk about some of those underlying stereotypes and biases that led to the situation um, 
that that escalated. So um, I haven't really heard of that in Cincinnati. Are, is it more um, compartmentalized to just certain cities or um, where where do you find that um, this really flourishes? Is it only in big cities? No, I think it can be successful anywhere. I honestly think it just depends on who's starting the programs and what they're interested in. You know, if I'm going to start a program, I want it to have a restorative justice component, but someone else might not, you know, be aware of that, that um, form of justice. Okay. With that being said, is there some sort of credentials within restorative justice that, that you can get, or is it just part of a, a therapy model that you implement? Hmm. I did a training in grad school. And so it's not necessarily a certification, but after I was done with it, I was considered to be a, a circle facilitator. Um, okay. But I don't think it's quite as formalized as needing a license or a certificate. I think it's just interested folks learning about the process in a genuine, authentic way. I love it. I love it. That sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah. Wow. Is there anything else that you would want to share with people about your college journey, both your undergrad and graduate that um, kind of shaped you into who you are today? Well, you asked about financial aid a little bit earlier, and I don't know what that looks like these days, but I do know how lucky I was um, to escape undergrad with like $11,000 in debt. I was able to pay that off in a couple That's of years. Amazing. I know I had Pell Grants. I had Stafford. I don't remember if that's a grant or a loan, um, but I, I got so much good financial aid, but also it was a lot cheaper back then. I yeah. really, really feel for folks right now um, trying to make it happen with how expensive education costs are right now. It really is beyond. Um, it's mind blowing. Absolutely. $11,000. I don't want to say that's nothing, but that's nothing, you know, and then your graduate program, um, were you a, a graduate assistant in some way? Or did you have to once again, pay through financial aid for that too? Yeah, I wasn't able to get a graduate assistantship. Um, and I remember when we moved to Alabama, we were all excited to become Alabama residents, not realizing how two years later that would count against me when I was applying to school in Chicago. So the first year I had to pay out of state tuition, which was triple what in-state, but then the second year I was paying in-state. You know, I just asked my husband how much our loans were for the those two years. Um, it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, I can't remember now, though. It was yeah, definitely more money than I've ever borrowed before. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. Um, so one of your hobbies, I hope you don't mind if I bring it up, is you and your husband make these amazing drinks that you put on Instagram and Facebook. And how did you get into sort of this mixology 
sort of thing. It looks phenomenal. I just don't know if I could afford all the alcohol to, to even start <laughs> making some of those delicious drinks I see that I live vicariously through you. Mm-hmm. Well, we actually started doing it because of cost. Uh, when we were living in Chicago, that was kind of the resurgence of the craft, craft cocktail prohibition era style cocktails. And we really liked them. Um, but back in those days, if we could afford to go out for dinner, we couldn't afford to get drinks with it. Um, That's insane. Yeah, drinks are expensive when you when you have them out. So then we just started making them at home. And my husband is amazing when it comes to flavors and combinations. He'll smell two things and be like, oh, these two things work perfectly together. And then let's add this third thing. So he's just a wizard with cocktails. So we started getting into it in Chicago. And then when we moved up to Wisconsin to small town, rural Wisconsin, we didn't have access to those um, cocktail places anymore. So we just started making the cocktails at our house and we're kind of known in the community for our cocktails now. I love it. I love it. I love the path you've chosen. Um, You know, you inspire me every day to be true to myself, Ellie, really. Ever since I met you, you just have this light and it's so bright and it's so beautiful. And I am just so grateful. I'm gonna start crying um, that we're still in touch. I really, really am. We both have created these beautiful lives for ourselves. And um, I'm just in awe of your success. I really, really am. Oh my goodness. It's so wonderful to still know you and I absolutely adore you. We had a very good time. I have to say, um, moving from Denver to Kansas uh, was a bit of a culture shock for me. And um, creating this friendship, maintaining it is is for sure the highlight. Because I look back on Kansas and I'm like, what did I learn from this experience? Because um, being in a small community and being Jewish at that, um, when you talk about where who's your home church or whatever, uh, that was definitely something um, people said to me. They actually thought I was Hispanic um, because I have darker skin, olive skin. And so it was um, an acclimation at the very least. And so I look back and I think, okay, I got to meet these people and they're still in my life. And that's the reason why I went. And so um, just trying to be open to what the universe has and, and uh, very grateful we're still in touch. So, all right. So I'm going to stop recording.